When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. The Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. <laughs> Welcome everybody, this is your host, Christopher Rennie, bringing you another episode of the Buck Off Podcast with Land Grant, Holy Land, and as always, I'm joined by Jordan Williams. How you doing today in this bye week? Uh, man, I'm doing good. Uh, I just saw an amazing game this weekend. Uh, I'm not like... I went back to college, man. Like, I'm, I wasn't hungover at all this weekend, and I was definitely consuming uh, a multitude of adult beverages. It was vacation. What else are you supposed to do? Uh, I mean, the only downside is I had to go back to work today. I mean, it's been it's been a good, great last couple of days. So, I mean, I'm doing good about yourself. I'm doing well. Uh, I'm glad uh, we finally get a week to kind of reflect on Ohio State so far. You know, we kind of did our three-game checkpoint. Yeah, I'm getting through the week. I'm traveling this weekend, kind of going to another wedding. A lot of people getting married this fall, apparently. But Ridiculous. Just this like, one got planned. On this one got planned correctly. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, even with that, it's going to be a great weekend of college football without Ohio State. Like, you've got Utah, USC. You've got Alabama, Tennessee. Michigan versus Penn State. I don't think you could ask for, like, a better three-game slate throughout the day than that. So I, I'm in a good place. I'm in a very good place. You know, watching those games stress-free is always fun. So I'm excited for that. But, you know, I, I, I'm I'm getting frustrated here. I'm, I'm tired of people just debating this bye week, idle week, open week thing. It's like, why does it matter? Why does it matter? It's, it, no one's playing. Ohio State's not playing. That's all that matters. Um. 
Yeah, for me, it's a bye week and it's always going to be a bye week. And I don't care what anyone has to say. And I understand why people say it's not, but I could care less. It's a bye week. And that's what it's going to be called until I decide not to call it that. And that's when I'm in the grave because I just think it's pretentious. Like, why are we talking about this? Uh, Yeah, it's not a tournament. It's not an earned like break. It's just a idle week that's what i keep seeing online and it's like the same people it's like why are you trying to be so much smarter than everybody else man like what's the point of that if we all know what it is it's bye week call it an idle week i don't care i'm just gonna make fun of you yeah i'm just like bye week in the nfl that's not a tournament either i really do like I, i really like i mean i don't actually care because i don't but like I really would like to know where that came from. Yeah, it just started like a few years ago. That's when I first started remembering seeing it. So I don't know. I I just think it's like people get bored. Like I get it. Like tournaments do have buys worked into it. But for as long as history has been case, like the regular season of college football has been pretty emblematic of a round robin tournament in a lot of ways. So I still think it classifies as a bye week. Uh, and that's me getting a little nerdy with it. But like I said, it doesn't matter. I just thought it would be a place to start this show because honestly, I don't even know what to do with myself. We've got quite a bit to talk about. You know, all the coaches met with the media. Not all the coaches. Quite a few of them did. Uh, the players are practicing Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday this week, working on fundamentals per Ryan Day. So that's a good thing. You know, you never can be too far away from your fundamentals, I think. So liked hearing that from the head ball coach. But I I think the hardest thing for me about bye weeks is it's a long time to get to that next game. It just, like, drags on. It's the longest two weeks ever, Saturday to Saturday. And that's where I'm at. Like, this is the Wednesday we're recording for for a Friday show. It's a bye week, so not as important to get there as late as possible. But that means there's 10 days left until we get to watch Ohio State play football again. And even with the college football games this weekend, it's like – kind of takes you out of the rhythm a little bit like we had to plan a show it, you know we're talking about a lot of stuff today but still man it, it's 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 an off week yeah it's it's tough i think it's much more tough uh for people who don't like just like watching football in general like i there's a little silver lining in the bye week because like there's some really good games this week and this is why all fall weddings are bad because even though they planned it without an ohio state game you're gonna miss some bangers so it's just like there's some silver lining because like you get to like I'm gonna get to watch Alabama, Tennessee. I'm gonna get to watch Illinois, Minnesota. I'm gonna get to watch Michigan, Indiana, without also like prioritizing the Ohio State game because when the Ohio State game is on, I don't typically do the sickos three four screen things because I'm taking notes and I'm Locked looking in. at the stats and stuff. Um, and then also like. Um, like I'm not gonna miss anything, and so it's like there, there's a silver lining, but at the same time, it's like I I, I also do just want to watch the book, guys. So um, it's definitely tough, but you know, for at least someone who is gonna watch and consume football from any and everyone, you can survive a week. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, it's gonna be a fun weekend. I'm not saying that. It's just like. Man, what, what do we do with like it's like Ricky Bobby? What do we do with our hands right now? Yeah, I don't know. 
Nothing. <laughs> All right, uh, let's get into some business here. Uh, we got we got a lot to talk about today. I'm excited about the show. Um, we're gonna get started with the presser availabilities from the coaches this week. Uh, I wanted to get started with cornerbacks. Uh, I think this kind of takes us into um, the territory we've kind of been sitting with, and. I think Ryan Day getting asked about the cornerbacks as much as he was probably kind of annoyed him a little bit. He's like, come on, guys. Like, we all are seeing the same thing. Like, everyone knows they're struggling. It's not like they're out of position. They just need to start making the plays on the ball. And that's pretty much the message he was saying. Um, And that's exactly what the quote said. I don't think it's any mystery that one of the things we got to do is finish some plays at corner. I I think when you look at how the corners have played, like – How many of those balls were competitive 50-50 balls for Michigan State this weekend? I'd say most of them. What, the Keon Coleman touchdown catch. um, Most of Jaden Reed's were contested. Uh, Cam Brown had the bad pass interference. That was probably the worst play of the corners in coverage that day. But I I just think it's hard to – Fully, like in the moment when everything else is going so well, and like you know, corner's already a magnified position, it's like they're right there. And if they could take that step, and I think that's kind of why everyone wants to know, like, what's the plan with the corners? Like, if they could take that next step, I don't think there's really necessarily a weakness on the defense, yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's just like. It just, the corners are so frustrating because it doesn't make sense. And um, going into the year, I feel like me and you were like pretty high on the corners. And we're like, when we talked about it, we we're like, all right, well, corner is not a place that I'm worried about. And it turns out that is like the only place that One I'm place, worried about. Yeah. And that's crazy to me. Um, I think. I think it can be fixed. I don't know if it will be fixed because I really feel like it's partially the coach at this point. Um, but, yeah, it's just like, I don't know. It's not hurting the team. Well, I mean, I guess I can't say it's not hurting the team in win losses or really even like the defense itself necessarily because they're still so highly ranked and rated in so many different places. But the concern that you have is like we're not playing this season to beat Rutgers. Like what happens when we play a real team? And that's always going to be the, the thing that's like, you know, that's always going to be the thing that worries you. Yeah, and honestly, as bad as it's looked at corner at times, like they're still only giving up 160 passing yards per game. And that's like a top 10 defensive back unit in the country. And like teams are playing from behind a lot, so that means they're throwing a lot. It's just it, – it, it really is kind of that weird like they're – May, there's big plays being made against them. And I think that's also part of the adjustment with Jim Knowles' scheme is, like, they're going to put corners in one-on-one situations. And last year, a lot of the situations with corners, they were playing eight, nine yards off. The goal was to not get beat deep. Now they're getting in people's chests. They're playing a lot of press man coverage. They're getting put out on islands a lot more. And there's a learning curve that comes with that. And I think as they continue to develop and continue to grow – it's definitely something we need to start seeing improve to the next six games or teams with more talent will try to take advantage of it like Penn State did or not Penn State, Michigan State did. And I think that's where I'm a little worried about it. 
I, I just think I, I'm trying to put my my whole head around this and on the show right now. Um, like, I think the health's been the biggest issue. Like a lot of them, what was it? Brian Day said the only two guys who haven't missed a practice at the position were uh, Jair Brown and J.K. Johnson. So it's really hard to get better if you're not able to practice. And we don't know how much these guys are actually getting into during the week. And if you're coming into games with like limited practice reps, it's going to show. And I think that's one of the biggest issues. And that's kind of why I, I want to take this bye week. You know, we understand they haven't been playing well, but this is like a huge opportunity for them to right the ship. They get Iowa first, not really a good downfield passing attack. And then they got Sean Clifford, who's going to take some shots. So, but also, once again, not that dangerous downfield passing. So I think you've got two opportunities against more respectable opponents to get some confidence. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. It's just, I, I think the biggest game for me, and it's funny, we were kind of talking about this beforehand. The biggest game for me is is Maryland, because I think they're the only ones that really have wide receivers that threaten us. And luckily for us, because I'm dangerously close to saying we're winning the national championship, neither Georgia or Alabama have wide receivers. And we will beat USC. But if we play USC, that would worry me because Jordan Addison is going for 250. But so it's yeah. just one of those things where USC, it's like, Tennessee are a little bit more worrisome from that standpoint right now than Alabama and Georgia. We've seen Alabama's receivers these six weeks, and if they didn't have Bryce Young, I don't think they're unscathed so far. Yeah, no, for sure. So I, I think it's one of those things where it's like partially we're spoiled as Buckeye fans because, you know, every team is going to have some sort of weakness. And if you had to seriously ask yourself which weakness, like if if not corner, what would you want to be weak in or, or whatever? I don't know if I'm saying this correctly. Um, it's like, well, what else? Like if you had to replace it, if you could fix the corners today, what would you rather be weak in? And for me, especially because the safeties are playing so well, like I'm fine with the weakness being corners, I guess. Um but also, it's like we're Ohio State. We want better, and to win a national championship, you've shown, you've shown recently that you, you almost have to be under, like you almost have to be perfect. So it's 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 weird. I mean, it is, it's definitely weird to to be in this position and try to like determine like, am I being too worrisome, or is this actually like a problem that's going to like come back and bite us in the ass? Yeah, right. Like it's like crazy. Uh, I think Denzel Burke only gave up like one like chunk play this week, and outside of that, he was pretty much a lockdown corner this week. Yeah, and no one's talking about it because, you know, that's what we expected from him, right? So, like Cam Brown coming back from injury, having to guard a Jaden Reed—that's not an easy task either, you know. J.K. Johnson in what his fourth game of action, having to guard Jaden Reed. So like. At the same time, like getting healthy, getting the young guys' experience. Like, I don't know if Jordan Hancock's ever coming back, but Ryan Day used the words like he was competing to start. So, if that's where they're at, I mean, I know a lot of fans are probably going to smirk at that and be like, well, he obviously was. Look how bad these quarters have been. But I think that just shows the level of confidence they had in him in, the, in fall camp. So, I think first thing, health. Second thing, we need to see it on the field. Like like Tim Walton and the group said, they're going to be working on playing the ball a lot this week during practice. 
Yeah, because that's they, it. And, and that's it. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about this, but I think that's the most frustrating part. I don't want to say I could accept because I obviously couldn't because I'm a terrible fan and I want perfection. But it would be so much better for me if they were getting beat because then it's like, no, you're just bad. You're just bad. The recruiting was Not bad. Right you need to get some young guys in, whatever, whatever. No, the, per- the coverage is perfect. They're literally attached at the freaking hip and they just can't play the ball. There was multiple times where it's like, if you just put your hand there, he he can't catch yeah. it. Like the Cam Brown thing, that ball hit him in the back of the knees. If he turns yeah. around, it's, it's in his hands. It is literally in his hands. That receiver had no chance to catch that. All he has to do is turn around and it's a gift. Like it hits him in the freaking chest and he just has to cradle it and fall. And it's just like that's the most, you know, annoying and frustrating part because it's just like, why are you right there but can't are, do it? Like they're like 90% of the way there, right? And the but the 10% that's not there is like probably the most important part of being a great corner and that's like making the play yeah because like i've literally like their corners who are not like freaking um uh digs digs trayvon digs trayvon digs is never there but when he is there he makes a play on the ball yeah that's and, and true it's like he gets burnt so often but when he's there he makes a play on the ball and it's like and a lot of people don't like him for it, and that's fine. I wouldn't want him on my team because he gets too boomer bust, honestly. But you're there. Just make the play. And it doesn't even have to be interceptions. Jeff Okuda was a lockdown corner for three years, basically, and didn't get an interception until his, his junior year. But you didn't yeah. catch the ball on him. You couldn't. And, like, Damon Arnett in school is, like, the same way once he, like, dialed in the fundamentals. And he honestly had the same problems the corners are having now early in his career where he just wasn't making plays on the ball. Um, and I, I think, you know, the way Kerry Combs coaches his corners, I, I know thinking back on it, like, when he was there with Greg Schiano, a lot of it was, like, get again phase. Don't look into the ball until you get to the hip. And I think, you know, when you have a – Positional transition. It's got really smooth for um, Perry Eliano in the safeties because guess what? Perry Eliano is the most respectable coach they've had. So they're finally getting taught something. And um, like Kerry Combs, like for what it's worth, was a good corners coach and not a good defensive coordinator. And I think when you're getting taught different fundamentals, when you're getting taught different things, that's the one position where overthinking could lead to a lot of issues. So like, unlearning relearning you know combining i don't know what it's going to take but there has to be some mental aspect to it that needs to they need to take that step forward and i i don't know like they they don't play off very often they're playing mostly anytime it's man coverage or basically in press and that they've done a really good job i i think it was jim Knowles alluded to it they need to get more physical at the line, throw off timing, throw off the spacing a little bit. And if they could get better at the actual hands-on stuff at the line of scrimmage, I think that could go a long way. Yeah, no, um, I agree 100%. And I was literally thinking about this, and I was like, man, Perry Eliano is a great safeties coach. 
but he made yeah. his name as a corner coach. Could you fire Tim Walton, move him to corners, and find someone else to coach safeties? Like, I feel like it might be like, and it, I feel like in most defenses, it's probably easier to coach corners than it is to coach safeties. And I'm not going to do the whole like um, thing that we like to do when we're right. I think we're right a lot. Uh, I we question like maybe they put Eliano at safeties because it's the harder one and he's such a good coach. When everyone was like, "Why would you take a corners coach and move him to safeties when he's we put two first round guys in the league?" And so I doubt you want to move him because safety is such it's an so important, important part, to the defense. Like, man, yeah. I, I was just thinking about it. I'm just thinking about it. They're, if anything, they'll probably fire. They won't fire him, but if anything, they'll probably fire him and just hire someone else. But they'll probably at least give him two seasons, which whatever. But yeah, yeah I was I, thinking like. Man, could you just move Kerry Cole? I mean, not Kerry Cole. Could you just move Perry Eliano to safety? I, I was almost to the point where, like, I was ready to go back on what I said before, where you need a separate safeties and corners coach. I was just like, let Perry coach them all. Just like, just let Perry coach them all. Yeah, we don't want him to be head coach too soon, so just keep him at safeties. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but jokes, jokes aside, I do think when you're coaching players to be out on the island confidence plays such a big part in it. And these corners aren't very confident right now. Like what have they done to like play with a lot of confidence? Like, and that's something that I think Tim Walton needs to do a good job of during this bye week. And just like, you know, it's easy for us to get on the podcast and get online and be like, they need to be better. But for Tim Walton, the jobs to raise these guys up and say, Hey, you guys are right there. We just need you guys you have that swagger that got you to Ohio State. We just need you guys to play at this level, and you guys are fully capable of doing it. We've seen you all do it to some semblance of it at some level, and that's why you're here. And just getting back to that and getting these guys' confidence back and, like, you know, watching the film. And, you know, yeah, it would be super easy to go back and just look at all the bad stuff. Maybe it's time to just go and say, hey, this is what you're doing well. If we could see you doing more of this – and we're, we're, we're golden. And I think sometimes negativity is the easy route to go. And I, I mean, as fans, it's like, I mean, we got to keep them honest, right? Like we have to make sure Tim Walton's on alert, but as like, if I was a coach, that would be my goal this week is to say, Hey, you guys. Yeah, it was tough. It was tough. You know, you gave up some big plays, but look at it. Like, look where we're at. Look how close we are to this. And then hopefully raising their confidence up, you know, because like, like 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 life on an island's lonely. It's really lonely when things aren't going well. And you Absolutely. can't let these guys be alone. So that's where I'm at with it. I think there's a long way to go for this group. But I do think we saw Denzel Burke. He was playing really well in one of the worstly constructed defenses in the history of Ohio State football. Like Which there is, is something there. Why it's so confusing that in a much better defense he's not playing well, but like but but to your point, he did play better. So it's like maybe you know, maybe it could just be the injuries. You know, it, it could just be the injuries, which is unfortunate. No one wants to talk about that, but it really could just be the injuries. Yeah, like Cam Brown, I don't know how much he was practicing the last few weeks while he was hurt. Like, it's hard. It's like hard when you're not confident. It's hard when you're in and out of practice. It's hard when there's no consistency. And that's probably where the biggest question is. And I, I'm honestly like, there's some Buckeye fans who are like, this is why we need to go after Elias Ricks. I'm like, he's not playing that well either. It's a tough position. Like, it doesn't matter how talented you are. You show how many. How many corners in the NFL have you like never heard of, and then they're like all pros? Like it happens quite a bit. 
Yeah, it does. Uh, I feel like that just happened last year to some guy. I was like, who is that guy? Um, but it almost happens just about every year, honestly. Yeah, it happens in college football, too. It's just it's a position that is it has the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. And we're, we're like, remember how bad the linebackers were last year? Look how like and I think that's why it's also hard because like they're the only position group that's taking a step back while everyone else is taking a step forward. So they could honestly be playing at the same exact level as last year, which was pretty good compared to the rest of the defense. But now it's bad because the rest of the defense is playing so good. Yeah. I'm just not going to watch all 200 defensive snaps to find out. So. No, I'm I'm absolutely not doing that. So after the break, well, I mean, not like after the break in the show, after the bye week, let's hope these guys just get it together. I'm tired of making fun of corners. It's a hard position. If you've ever played football, you know how hard that position is. We just need to see some plays getting made, finishing. That's what the coach wants. If the head coach wants it. That's what I want. So that's where I'm at with this. Uh, and then he also added, uh, no, Jim Knowles said this. I think these three days are great days for them to get better. I've been loving Jim Knowles because he's just like one sentence answers and they're the best. They're just no wasted words. Yeah, um, I agree. Um, and he has been pretty like, I think he's been pretty honest, both with the media and the players, but like not going in details. Like he's not going to like he's not going to. um What's the word? He's not going to like talk down on the players, but he's also not going to lie and be like, ah, yeah, they're playing so well. Like, but he, like, he's also like, he's not going into the media and like, oh, this player sucks, this, that, and the third. Blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, no, nah, like, he's not doing any of that. So, yeah, um, how subtle is it? I think these three days are going to be a really good days for these guys to work. I think that's just a very respectful way to say, yeah, these guys need to work this week, they need to get better. And they do. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, what other one? So I got here. Uh, I, I, I was kind of interested in day. Anytime he gets asked about backup quarterbacks playing and like, he's like, I don't want to run up the score. I don't want to be disrespectful. So we don't want to open up the offense too much. Ooh. And I, yeah, I remember in the NCAA video game, it was like, we're keeping the starters in. We're trying to score a hundred points but I didn't have to actually like deal with coaches at media days after. So like hmm. that, that's fair. Uh, I didn't ever have to hire these people after. So also fair. Uh, but I, I think, my- I, I, I think, well, yeah, I think you need to let them let it rip a little bit. Right. Yeah. I think the biggest problem with all of it is that um, last year you complained that your guys weren't getting snaps. And then this year, or in most other years, you don't let them get snaps. So it's like... Is it important? For, like, because catching the ball and handing it off is not snaps. Like, it's just not. So... Um, which is better, right? Is it better to get snaps and actually learn the offense and play and do these kind of things? Um, or is it better to not do that and to, you know, make friends or to make people happy or whatever? But your guys never like, I mean, like, 
Kyle McCord hasn't had any real snaps except the Akron game. He doesn't throw the ball. He doesn't run the offense. And I think yeah. that you can run the offense without – don't do the deep shots. Don't do that. But you can run an offense and let him get some plays and let him get some stuff. And also, um, I don't remember who said it, but it was funny. Some coach said it, like running up the scores. Like, it's not my job to coach for them. It's their job to stop us. Did they stop yeah. trying to score? They didn't stop trying to score. So no. why should I? Like it's like when it's like when Greg Ciano was mad about the fake punt. It's like you're bringing eight rushers. Like Jesse Murko did his job. Like and I, I'm with you. I think so. Why? Like so, if it's ones on twos, which I think has happened quite a bit for Iowa State. You let Kyle cook. Yeah, if your ones can't stop our twos, that's a you problem. Yeah, and then if it's twos on twos, guess what? Those twos are out there to get better also. Are you think they're going to get better watching uh, TC Caffey take 15 handoffs to run the clock out in the fourth quarter? No, if they're putting their twos out there, they want them to play also. Let's play some football. Let's start a new game. Yeah, and I, I just like <laughs> – like you don't have to call the deep post, right? You don't have to do that kind of no. stuff. There, there's crossers. some sportsmanship and that kind of stuff. But if I run a shallow crosser and break three tackles because your guys can't tackle, that's your fault. Yeah. But let them run the offense. Let them get some plays. Run some hitches. Run some outs. Like some something that's not just handing the ball off three times and punting. Because if that's the case, why is he even in there? Yeah, I mean. Like we said, I think last show, it's like keep CJ in if you're just going to do that. Let him hand the ball off. You know, and like I'm completely joking saying that because you want your starter out when you're up big. But like that's basically what you're doing. It's like anyone could do it. You could like Jagger LaRue transferred. He could have done that. So like overall, I, I just think. I like I think you your point you made right at the start of it's like you complained about your players not having real snaps during the COVID year. Last year the only real snaps they got were the Akron game, the backups. This year you've had three or four opportunities to get legitimate game reps for guys who are gonna be contributors next year. And Instead of being the Ryan Day in the first three quarters who doesn't care what the opposing coach thinks, you finally decide, oh, yeah, we'll let off the gas now. And I think that's a little frustrating to me about it. It's well, like, be decisive. You can you can, you can let your foot off the gas. He's not letting his foot off the gas. He's turning off the car. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Like, like I saw the stat. It said Ryan Day in the offense through three quarters, averaged 49 points. Ryan Day through in the fourth quarter, five points. You don't even average a touchdown. And those five points are literally your backup scored two or three touchdowns in a game, and then that has been split across the rest of the games of the season because you haven't scored a single fourth quarter point because you're just turning off the car. Like you put it, you put it in park at a green light, and I expect the people to drive around you. Yeah, that's insane to me. It, it, and I get it. It, it. The most frustrating thing is like when Kyle McCord. Or whoever ends up starting next year, and I, I know the McCord Hive still pressed on the show, but it doesn't really matter. It's more the principle of it. Like you're going to go into week one and be like, "Man, he's a really raw player. Like he hasn't had a lot of experience." If it's Kyle, it's like, "Yeah, he's got one start in the Akron game," but that's on you, Coach. Come on. Yeah, it is. 
I don't want to hear anything. I, I don't. I don't want to hear anything about him not having experience because he's been here for two years at that point, and is yeah. going to have thrown less than a hundred passes in two and years. You know, you know what happens when you don't give the offense like some freedom? C.J. Stroud pulls a read option, and then everyone thinks he's the next Braxton Miller. <laughs> That's what happens. Yeah, he uh, was. He was definitely not that. He was not. Uh, let's get. I, I got a few more. Uh, I mean, Ryan Day said Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams. They understand that they need each other. Everyone, I, I'm tired of this Team Edward, Team Jacob type of thing we're doing with Mayan and Travion Henderson. They're both very good. They they need them if they want to win a national title. They need both running styles. And that's all I got there. You got anything to add to that one? Hey, nothing except something that I've said before, and that's most NFL teams have a two-back system. The yeah. only ones that, like, absolutely, even the Colts do with Jonathan Taylor. They have Naeem Hines who provides a totally different thing. The only ones that don't are, like, freaking uh, the Titans with Derrick Henry, and when he gets injured, they have nothing and, like, oh. a couple other ones. So, like, this is what football is supposed to be. You, it, this is yeah. not the time of a bell cow back anymore. If you've got Nick Chubb, like – wouldn't you want him to be a bell cow? They do. They still rely on him 20 carries a game. But guess what? They get Kareem his 15. It's how it works. Yeah, The uh, Browns aren't fortunate enough to have Jonathan Taylor. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that's they, may have the, they may have the only running back better than Jonathan Taylor. So Yeah, and he splits carries. Think about that. Ohio State fans. A lot of you are Browns fans, too, so you understand it. Um. 20 uh, oh this was this was awesome this was awesome uh, Larry Johnson was asked whether Mike Hall was the alpha dog he referenced before the season uh, Larry Johnson let out a big old grin and said I think we've got some dogs left <laughs> uh, man I, so like Larry doesn't talk to the media all that much but when he does I think it's always like it's one of the best and I think the grid meant, yeah, Mike Hall was the guy I was talking about. But I also think he's like, we still got JT. We still got Jack. And you know what? Zach's been playing well, too. Don't discredit to Ron. They might not be the alpha dogs, but we got some dogs left. Yeah. Yeah. Don't 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 worry about what we got going on in this room. Just know that we're good. <laughs> yeah. Like there are five players here who could wreck a game at any given time. And, and I, okay. Like I like we took her victory lap, but how much more do you think we're going to see Zach Harrison as that three tech tackle? A lot. It's going to be something they commit to. I think he starts there against Michigan and against Bama. Uh, Yeah, Bama because Bama still runs the ball and Georgia. I think he starts there like like from Michigan on. I think that's where he sees most of his snaps. Because I I really like the starting lineup of JT. Um, honestly, I like it more this way. JT, Jack, Teron, and Zach Harrison. Those three. Those four. And then, you know, they chip away a little bit. And then you bring in Mike Hall at the end of drives or on third down situations. And you just have this game. Because we saw what he could do in seven plays. And I know, like, yes, you want that guy on the field probably every single play. But how scary would that kind of be? You get four reliable guys and you get a game wrecker whenever you need them. Yeah, I think no matter how you do it, 
I think the best way to do it is to have uh, Mike with Tehran and Tyleek with Zach. Because you get your reliable guy and then you get your game record. And so you always have a game record on the field. So for me, I wouldn't start Zach. I would start Mike Hall and Tehran. And then I would bring in, because they rotate so much, I would bring in Zach and Tyleek together. Yeah, it so. gets bigger personnel. I was watch so when I was doing my uh, film study for this week during the bye week, I was looking at Knowles' defense and watching Zach Harrison run with Braylon Allen. It was pretty incredible. Like he is still a freak athlete for his size. Yeah, just he, he needs to learn how to bend, bro. I mean, I'm t- I, I say it once, I say it a million times. He is Jadavian Clowney. Really, I mean, really, he's the Forrest Buckner. Well, no, he's not as he's not as dominant as the Forrest Buckner yet. But he's Jadavian Clowney. Jadavian Clowney is not a good pass rusher in the NFL, but he's an above average run stopper. Good player. He does, nothing comes to his side, and when you have a good pass rusher on the opposite side, like you know, maybe the best pass rusher in the league. Jadavian Clowney has big seasons, but if he's your number one option, you're struggling. Like, Zach Harrison could be a good number two or number three pass rusher on any team or a defensive tackle in the league and be fine. He just can't be the guy. And it was yeah. it was a problem because Ohio State didn't have the guy and expected it to be him because of his recruiting ranking. But he's still, in my opinion, if he can if he can split time between edge and, 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 and inside, he's still a first round pick in my opinion he's a very good player still he's just not a good pass rusher and that's fine yeah, that's fine especially now that we have be, pass rushers yeah not everyone's gonna be uh chase young like I, there's still not a chase young on this team in my eyes yet like mike hall has that ability i still think he's probably a full year away from being like that level of dominance but like right now it's it's a group effort. JT's been getting pressure. I I feel so bad for JT and Jack because they're they're losing so many sack opportunities because the holdings and then like the defensive tackles will come in and clean it up. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, but there's like still- the amount. Of, like there, I was watching one clip today where Jack Sawyer just absolutely obliterated the tackle with hands, and the guy just pretty much got him in a chokehold and pulled him down. And Mike Hall was able to run in freely and make the sack, but I was just like, man, this is that's a tough break because there's no flag throw. Yeah, uh, they've just been. They are not getting any love they, in they any regard. Not. They're, not, they're not, not getting sacks. They're not getting calls. And the thing that separates them from Chase Young is like Chase Young was able to finish. They just have to be able to finish. But their yeah. pressure rates are crazy. Like they're un, they're literally unblockable. They're just not yeah. finishing. And the only way to block them is to hold them without getting it called. Yeah. But honestly, watching the defensive line and how it plays and how it happens so consistently, I think they're being coached that way because they're not doing like the crazy spin inside that kind of stuff where maybe they yeah. could have finished a sack. They're staying kind of disciplined in their rest lanes and forcing the quarterback to step up because the problem yeah. is when you do, cause this happened to chase a little bit. Sometimes the problem is when you go solo dolo, if you don't get the sack they're on the edge and I think that it's partially being taught. And I think it's kind of what they started to do last year. It's just much more effective this year. 
there because you have yeah, better pass rushers and you have better people on the inside. Um, yeah. and, it, and it's less contained rush and it's a slightly more aggressive. But I think a part of them not getting sacks is just how they're playing defense because they're not they're playing defensive line as a unit and not as four guys see ball get ball. Like the, yeah, there's for a sure. plan to it, and I think that's how the defensive tackle because it's all the defensive tackles they keep cleaning up because I think that is what they're trying the to do. The linebackers too. Yeah. Because um, like you said, one of the big things when you have elite defensive ends rushing is they climb the pocket and escape through that way if you over-pursue. Guess who's coming? Tommy's coming. Yeah. Mike Hall's coming. Teron's coming. Because those guys it, have no pass responsibilities, which I just think is hilarious. Like, yeah. obviously they have so a it, little, but like, not it's really. So, <laughs> it's so funny to me that like Jack Sawyer and a uh, freaking uh, JBB, Javante Jean Baptiste and Zach Harrison are dropping out in coverage more than the linebackers are. That's, like, yeah, they, that's hilarious. And like, like it's just crazy that last year, like they didn't blitz the linebackers at all. Like how many times did we just see them hopping around, not doing anything, as receivers just sat behind them? Like it was all the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's been a pleasant, it's been a pleasant surprise seeing linebackers blitzing aggressively again. <laughs> all right, what else we got? Uh, Justin Fry. Uh, I hate to say it. This guy's awesome. The joke that keeps being said everywhere is they need, we need Tom Allen to win some football games. <laughs> Man, do not let him go to it. Actually, I mean, he's going to go somewhere. I don't think Indiana is smart enough to hire him. But, like, please, like, do not let him yeah, go to Tom Allen, <laughs> we need you to coach another five, six years. You know, I don't know how many offensive coordinators. In Bloomington. Like, I don't know how many run game, passing game, offensive coordinators Ohio State can have, but uh, the, like, you know, I, I Tony what? Alford's like untradeable, freaking Brian Hartline's obviously untradeable right now. Kevin Fry, like the transformation of this offensive line, untradeable, like. I don't know how much I don't know how just Fry can recruit. He did a good job closing out Ohio, but like right now, those three coaches, you got to get them in. Like they're going to be making a million dollars as position coaches at some point. Like if they stay with Ohio State, and that is insane. If you think about how coaches were getting paid 10, 15 years ago, yeah, yeah. Um, but that guy, like I, I don't know, man. We he's, were high on Justin Fry. And he's everything. He's more than what we thought he was, and we were high on him from the beginning. Yeah, it's similar to like what we said about like Jim Knowles, like coming in, like coaching the level of talent he's had. Like Justin Fry has never coached Donovan Jackson level players. He's never coached Paris Johnson Jr. level players. He's never. He, Luke Whipler is a high four star. He's never coached Luke Whipler level players. He's like this is the best line he's ever had to coach and. It's like like when you really break it down, it's like this is what an Ohio State line should look like from a recruiting standpoint. Instead, did everything he could to not end up with this line. He must not be named, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, we, we don't talk about that guy. He needs to be in Rikers for what he did to this offensive line because it's the same guys, man. It's the, it's same, the same guy. Well, it's the same. I, I mean, it's not, but it is. It's the same like, guys. Thayer Bunford was great. Like, the four tackles, like, everything that Sud did last year, and I'm naming him because he needs to be brought up on charges. <laughs> like, 
I don't know how. It was so bad. Stud, this is your official grand jury. And you have been found guilty on all charges as follows. Misuse of funds. Misuse of job dereliction of duty. Um, (laughs) Misuse of talent. uh, Negligence. Misuse um, of company time. <laughs> um, what's it? Uh, emotional damages to other clients. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, you keep naming them. Just name legal terms. You did it to us. Uh, but it, it's really just I, – I get like back in his heyday, he was a good offensive line coach. But that's not how we live anymore. Look at this staff. And that's like, – I can't wait – we're, we're doing a special instant recap for you guys for the midseason, but I can't wait to just get into that a little bit more. But I, I'm just so happy Justin Fry ended up being as good as we thought. Like, I won't be happy in a year or two when he's, like, the head coach of, like, some mid-tier ACC or Pac-12 school. But uh, I will be happy for him, but not personally for myself. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I, I just think like the way he carries himself, it's very like him and Perry Eliano are both going to be head coaches one day. Uh, I hate that and for us. That's called identifying identifying talent, and it's crazy what Ryan Day was able to do when he like had his back against the wall. He's like, I'm going to go find guys that I want to find, and that's what they did. And he's like, I knew Justin. And he came in, he interviewed, and this is pretty much what happened. He sold them. Like, you can't just hire your friends at Ohio State unless you win a national championship. I'm not getting into that today. Um, No best men at Ryan Day's wedding are on this staff, I don't believe. But he hired Justin Fry because he's a great offensive line coach. He hired Perry Eliano because he's a great defensive backs coach. He hired Tim Walton because he was a really solid NFL defensive backs coach. Like, all these guys had – earned their spots at Ohio State. And, you know, Kerry Combs coming in as a DC from the NFL on paper made sense. And then we saw it, and it didn't make any sense after that. Yeah, and I think that um, – I think the thing to remember is this is how you don't get stale, right? Like, I understand like, like Alabama is a little different because they lose guys every year. And at a certain point, it's like how can you keep replacing guys? And I think it's interesting that when they're having their quote-unquote worst teams for – a Bama team that still is capable of winning a national championship, it's when there's nobody on their staff that people want to hire. Like, they're trying to gift Bill O'Brien. Like, nobody to any program nobody wants take. Pete Golding. Like, I think that kind of says something. But the thing is, when Ohio State, Alabama, uh, Georgia, all of these programs are at their best, people want your coordinators. I mean, how many offensive coordinators did we go through until Urban started hiring bad ones? And they weren't all good head coaches, but they were good coordinators. They got their experience. They, they were hiring our offensive coordinators. They were hiring our defensive coordinators. That happens at Bama. That happens at Georgia. That happens at every legitimate program. And your job as a coach and really your staff is to identify the next up-and-comer. And you find him. And then when he leaves, you get the next guy. And you just keep doing that. And now the thing that you don't want is what happens to Bama, where they leave every year. You'd like to keep them for two or three years, build a little consistency. But... I said it before, like, it's not a good thing when nobody wants your coordinators at Ohio State. 
Yeah, absolutely. Wants them. No one wanted Ed Warner. No one wanted Tim Beck. Uh, that's also what happens when you promote within, and that's happened. Like that's a business lesson to all of America. Uh, from Buck Off, truly, this is Buck Off Business Insider. Uh, but after the break, I will give you five stock tips that'll make you rich. No, I'm just kidding. That's not this type of podcast. But. Um, you're right. I, I do think this stagnation was very prevalent. And, you know, Ryan Day went with some Urban Meyer retreads and it didn't work out. So what did he do this time? He went out and got his own guys. And they weren't his guys. They weren't part of like some tree he's been a part of. Like, So I'm just excited to see this staff come together. It's working through six games. And I think that's something that should have everybody excited in. The offensive line is going to be tested next or yeah, next week and you know, the next few weeks. So I'm excited to see what this offensive line is capable of. I, I know we already talked about the defense backs them too. I want to see the corners get it turned around. I just think that's what the best thing about the bye week is just being able to look back on all that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And with that, we're going to go to a quick break. And as I said, here are five stocks to get you rich after the break. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, I don't have five stocks for you. I was lying. That was just a like last week. I didn't want to call Urban or Ryan Day a liar again. I almost said Urban Meyer. And, you know, his nickname's Urban Liar, so... You take that for what it's worth. But I'm not here to disparage the old ball coach, the future head coach in the Valley of the Sun, uh, the no morals university out there, maybe. I don't know. We're not doing coaching carousel talk today. Uh, but, you know, we did a – we kind of did a quarterly checkpoint after the first three games. It was very exciting. I think today's the midway checkpoint. Uh, we we kind of – we've got some questions, you know, just some questions I came up with, some questions I've seen on the internet, some questions I've kind of been hearing around, just, you know, scouring Twitter. Uh, and this is kind of where I wanted to take this direction at the midway point because I think most of the offseason questions were answered for, through the first three games, and I think you'd agree with that. You know, the corner question was raised throughout the last, like – Three games, but outside of that, I think most of what we had the preseason's been answered to this point. How everything was going to look, what we needed to see, we're there. So, questions moving forward. Jim Knowles has a top ten defense right now. It's not a question; it is a statement. I'm sorry I misled you guys. Uh, did you know that they're top ten in most categories, Jordan? Um, I did. Um, absolutely, uh, I did. Did you I, know that I don't know if you pay attention to this one I'm sure you do because you have the athletic Did you know that they're top 10 in stop rate I did I just saw that today actually yeah. First one Max Olsen right Yep. 
Shout out to Athletic Sickos. That's who we are. Also, just a side note for the stop rate thing. We are number 10, I believe. But there's only one other team that has played as many games as we have, and it's Michigan, and they played nobody. So our, yeah, I get, think, is a little bit more impressive than some on the list, and we are still there. They get three games against uh, Connecticut and so on and so forth. So uh, I'm not really too concerned about that at all. But I, I actually found this website called Football Outsiders. Uh, and they've got some good stats. But I, I just wanted to get into the defense. You know, the stop rate, number 10 there. Opponents yards per play, number eight in the country. Um, opponents yards per game, number seven in the country. Um, opponents points per game, number 10. You know, you start averaging those numbers out. Guess what? We're, we're inside the top 10. And that was the goal Ryan Day set. Opponent yards per rush, number nine in the country with three yards. Uh, opponents passing yards per game, I believe, was where it is. Uh, number five, I mentioned that earlier, 160 yards per game. I, you start looking at the stats, it, it's looking good. And I, where's the other one? Third down, third down conversion percentage, uh, 27.16%, number seven in the country. And they're 14th and 4th down conversion percentage. So they're good there, too. Remember how often last year Ohio State would have a third and, like, medium, a third and one, and they just the other team would just get it? Every time, like, it felt like. Every time. And now they're top 10 in third down opponent, third down conversion percentage. Uh, so I, I think at the midway point having – Played some decent teams, you know, Wisconsin, Notre Dame's kind of getting it together again. Like, uh, who else did we play? Taquan Finn, uh, we played him. He was good. I'm not going to say we played Toledo. Uh, we played Taquan. <laughs> and, yeah, am I missing anyone? Like, Arkansas State didn't do anything. Uh, Michigan State had negative rush yards. For the majority of the game against Ohio State, and I'm pretty sure they finished with negative rush yards when the starters came out. Yeah, I think so too. Um, just so, a dominant showing. I, I like to set that loft. You have a goal and to meet it. That's all I need to know about Jim Knowles at the halfway point. Yeah, and I mean, like, and it's crazy because it would be better if it wasn't like, like, think of what the rushing stat would be if the if the um, the fourth stringers didn't give up a seventy five yard rush to Braylon Allen. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it could be it could be better. <laughs> like, that's the thing. It could like, be just like a couple of little things, and it's it's even better than it is. And even weathering those ups and downs. I mean, look at all the injuries. We talked about injuries every show, and to be tired. Pain with all the injuries, with the third and fourth string guys giving up plays here and there. Like, this defense is a top five defense. Like, if you add it all together and you look at all the circumstances, yeah, I mean, and I know I talk trash about who Michigan played, and sure, we haven't played the best teams in the world, but um, we played teams with a pulse. Yeah, top 20 in strength of schedule. I think we're 14. Um, according to ESPN, and Phil Steele has us in the top 40 in strength of schedule. So uh, take that for what it's worth. Like, that's against a competitive schedule. Uh, honestly, if Notre Dame didn't lose to freaking Marshall, I think that, like, that win looks a lot different with them 5-1 and one with their only loss to Ohio State. 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. What else we got? What else we got? We've got a elite offensive line play. That's where I needed football outsiders. That's where we look at those stats. Um, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, God, where is it? Oh, that's DVOA. We don't need that. To delay offensive line stats. I should have had this pulled up before. I'm very sorry for the lack of professionalism, everybody. All right. So here we are, you know, and we're just gassing up Justin Fry. So I, I really want to show you guys why. Uh, average line yards. So to put that stat into perspective, that is how many yards the offensive line is gaining the offense per play. I don't know how it's calculated. I'm assuming it's a mix of yards before first contact, like yards, you know, adjusted for like quarterback sacks and stuff. And anything where the offensive line could kind of have an effect on it. And they are averaging 3.67 yards. That's how many the offensive line is gaining. And that's good for number one in the country. Uh, stuff rates, another one. How often is the offensive line getting stuffed? 6.9% of the time. That's number one in the country. And guess how many points higher it is than the next place? Uh, four and a half. The next one's probably somewhere at like 10 or 11. It is 9.2%. Oh, wow. Uh, so 2.3. UCLA, funny enough. And they're running the ball incredibly well behind an offensive line that guess who built Justin Fry yeah with Chip Kelly the guy who taught Ryan Day everything he knows about football so I mean good company I'd say an undefeated Pac-12 team that's like running people off the field but Number one there, they're the lack of the like honestly on one hand, I think I could probably count the amount of run plays I remember going for like negative yards or getting stopped at the line of scrimmage. And it feels yeah, I like honestly I don't remember any of them doing that. I'm sure they have, you know, obviously, but I don't really remember it. Yeah, and then the next closest in the Big Ten is Minnesota at ten point one, who also historically relies heavily on the run game. So you've got the best passing offense in the country, and then your offensive line's giving up a 6.9% stuff rate, which is absurd. Um, the sack rate's seven. I think that's kind of a tough one to, like, really – Oregon didn't give up a sack till last week, which is – I had partly luck, partly, like – you know, it just happens, you know, like being in the top 10 and that's good. And we've only given uh, up a couple of sacks. So it's like, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So like three sacks, I think is what has been given up on Stroud. So like overall, the offensive line statistically, like digging up those numbers wasn't easy. They're playing incredibly well. There's no other way to put it. They might be the – like, if I had to power rank the groups on the field through their first half performance, I think they're number one. Uh, I could see that. Um, I would – yeah, I think it depends. Like, are we doing performance or performance over expectation? That's that's going down a rabbit hole, um, I guess. But they're definitely up there. And I think we're finally going to win the Joe Moore Award, which I feel like we've been snubbed on a couple of times. A couple of times. But, yeah, I mean – being the statistical leaders, I know, like, if you're going to vote on the Joe Moore Award, if you're not looking at these stats, like, you're doing a disservice. So, 
Um, that's where the offensive line's been elite. Next thing I have on the list, this one's my question. Is Ryan Day back in his bag? Uh, I'm going to say maybe. And no, I mean, I guess Wisconsin was a tough opponent until they weren't. The yeah, that's also it's the hard part. It's hard to say is Wisconsin bad? Ryan Day has, I mean, okay, yes. Yes, he is. Because in many, many areas, especially short yardage and red zone, he has been better than he's been at all in his career. So effectively, 100% yes, in the red zone. It's bad. The only thing that was kind of holding me back is what is he going to do again, like in the playoffs or against Michigan? Well, he kind of goes crazy on Michigan. But like, what is he going to do in the playoffs and stuff like that? Because he's typically like chokes. But that's a conversation for later. At this point, six games into the season, 100% in the red zone, great on third down, great on fourth down, um, you know, creative play calling. Um, you know, he literally said that, like, a lot of their plays have Jackson Smith and Jigba as the number one option. So, like, they had to make a bunch of changes around that with him being out for the playbook and, and, and different things like that. So I would say it is fair to say that, yes, he is in his bag. Um, and I just hope that he stays in his bag when he places when he plays Alabama, Georgia, USC, Utah, not Utah anymore, USC, UCLA, hey, never not or whoever. Yeah, I, I'm with you. So number two in the country at third down conversion percentage, number one on fourth down, number one in red zone scoring, number one in yards per play. Uh, I think those are third down conversion percentage and yards per player. I think the two most important stats to me for an offense is functionality. And because third down, your back's against the wall. You need to get the first, keep the six moving. Number two in the country. I don't know who number one is. Don't care. Uh, number one in yards per play. That means pace adjusted every play. They're ripping off eight yards. The most important one is red zone, but those are the yeah. other two and three. And like red zone, hundred percent. Like that is ungodly through six games. Like it doesn't matter who you're playing. I, I like I like they're on a touchdown streak that I like that I think's in the twenties now on red zone trips. Crazy. It's just and. Like, like you said, the run concepts are better. And I, I think it starts with trust in the offensive line. So it all connects. You know, I think him getting Justin Fry in there, you know, because he always trusted the receivers. He definitively probably over-trusted the receivers last year. Yeah. Um, now he's got the offensive line. He's got the running backs, you know, following the blocks, like playing smart running back, you know, like following the blocks, following the holes, not trying to do everything all at once. But I, I think that's where it all starts. The foundation's the offensive line. We just talked about those stats. And because of those stats, Ryan Day is feeling confident that he could call anything at any given time. Yeah, and I think that there's only really one point that I can remember where I was like, what the hell is this guy calling? And you could argue he was doing that because he wanted to give um, C.J. Stroud more confidence because he hadn't played well that game. Like, we got into the red zone, and it's like, all right, bro, like, why are you not running the ball? Give mine Williams his 20th touchdown on the day. And But like I said, you could argue that he was doing that to get C.J. Stroud some, some reps and some things because he wasn't playing yeah. great. And if that's the only time that you can identify that he had some questionable calls or what we feel is questionable. And it happened in the in the rare game where the star quarterback isn't playing like himself. All right. 
Yeah. Like, like I wasn't happy about it in the moment, and I definitely tweeted my feelings as I always do, but like even that is relatively understandable. You know what I mean? Like it's relatively like Absolutely. okay, yeah. I can I don't like it, but I can see the thought process. And that was some of the problem last year. You couldn't see the thought process. And you couldn't understand yeah. why this team with Justin Fields and CJ Stroud with Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, all these people couldn't freaking score in the red zone. And personally, I understand that Alave and Wilson were excellent on them, but I hate goal line fades with a passion, and I don't think we've run a single one yet. And personally, I don't care how good you're at it. That play is stupid, and it is very ineffective. And it's there's something it's better to the down. literally, and he's not doing that because he's actually calling real plays. I mean, they're literally undefeated when they pull out the pistol, not the pistol when they pull out I formation. Yeah, I honestly was able to write a whole article on how Brian Williams scored four different ways inside the one yard line because he changed everything up so much each time. Yeah, and that wasn't something we could have done last year. Nope. Uh, first of all, mine wouldn't have been scoring on them touchdowns. Yeah, it's true. Uh, all right, next uh, next thing on the list, I've got this one's a good one. This one's going to hit close to home. Tommy Eichenberg's award ceiling. Bronco Nagurski. Eichenberg added to watch list. Tom, Marvin Harrison Jr., Tommy Eichenberg added to watch list. Marvin Harrison Jr., Maxwell. Tommy Eichenberg, the Chuck Bednarik Award. Uh, Tommy Eichenberg. Wait, what is the Chuck Bednarik Award? That's like the defensive player of the year. Uh, okay, because the Bronco Nerguski is the linebacker of the year. The Chuck one yeah, is He's definitely up for that one. The Chuck is overall defensive player of the year? Yeah, there's linebackers, defensive tackle. It might best be best interior defender, if I'm not mistaken. So Okay. I don't know these awards. Ohio State players don't. There's a lot of awards, but before the year, we were high on Tommy. Now, the country's high on Tommy. As they should be. I mean, I think he's for sure, him and Jack Campbell, I'd say, are the first team all Big Ten linebackers right now at this point. Yeah, and how like not that he's playing bad, but is Jack Campbell playing that good? Like, uh, like I think I think he might. I think we might get linebacker of the year for sure. Yeah, like I, I so before like you know they kind of hit like I don't think Tommy hit a slump because he's still getting like seven eight tackles a game, but he didn't have double digits for like two games in a row. Um, one Steel Chambers had the best game of his career linebacker against Rutgers. Two last week it was just. There's a lot of stuff going on outside the box. Tommy just wasn't involved all that much. That's how that's how much he's that's how well he's playing. They're trying to get the ball outside the box so Tommy can't get into get into the game. That's what they're doing. I just figured it out. Yeah. But like he's been an animal. And you know, I like I think it was two weeks ago I compared the stats. I was like, Tommy Eichenberg has better stats than Jack Campbell right now. Like before the season, did I think that was gonna happen? And yeah, I'm gassing up Jack Campbell a little bit, but it was more Tech that's how like 140 tackles last yeah. year. You're not gassing him up. He's a good player. Like you're he's a good player. You're just speaking fact. It was more just the fact that like Tommy Eichenberg is matching this guy. And before the season, no one was talking about Tommy Eichenberg. Everyone no. was talking about Jack Campbell. So I think we need to we need to start the conversation. 
I mean, the Tommy trailers are the Tommy trains already off the tracks. Like, yeah, it's a we late for people to be joining, but like, if you want to join, we're not going to turn you away. Just know yeah, we're we- charging you triple. <laughs> it's time to nationalize the Tommy E movement, and that is the goal now. I think we've converted most people. I think most people understand that Tommy Eichenberg's a beast now. Like, not even just at Ohio State. I think in the Big Ten country, like, Tommy Eichenberg's a name. I need someone in Los Angeles to know who Tommy Eichenberg is by the end of the year. That isn't a relative of mine. Yeah. Joe Clack, come on, man. Stop saying the BS that, you know, I think Ohio State's a good football team. Get on the Tommy train. Yeah, that's good. some real deep stuff, Joel. Ike Hamburg. You still get the same traffic from Ohio State fans. You don't need to give us, like, this, like, clout chasing. Ohio State could win a national title. Okay. We want Tommy Eichenberg talk. Like, like, give us, Joel, give us what we want, all right? Yeah, I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna go as high as the Heisman this year, but next year? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, I mean, but he's definitely gonna be a finalist for those awards. He's gonna be the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. Ah, man, I don't know. He keeps getting some more sacks. Yeah, I don't know. Mike Hall might have a. Yeah, that Mike Hall may have a chance, and they typically give that to more playmakers. And there's a there's a yeah. there's an Iowa guy who had like three interceptions in four games. Who's the so. uh, Jair Brown at Penn State's having a really good year? Yeah. Who's their other safety? He's playing pretty well too. Well, that might hurt them though, having two good safeties. True, 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 true. So it, it's 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 definitely something. If I had a vote, which I don't, he's I would vote for Tommy at minimum because you don't know what people are going to do when it comes to awards because sometimes they're stupid. Although he may win it by default if we win the national championship because that's just they just give it to the person that won a national championship. Like he has to be good mm-hmm. even if they don't deserve it. Even though I think he would. Um, the one thing that is absolutely for sure a fact, um, he's going to be a first-team All-American. He should be. Uh, and maybe it's like consensus and there's that other one, like unanimous consensus, and those are the so, two. I think he could be a consensus All-American. Consensus I don't think it'll be is unanimous only one. two or three services. Yeah. And then the unanimous is all of the major ones. Yeah. So, like, the AP, um, you know, USA Today. ESPN. Um, ESPN. I don't think the athletic is counted, but... I think they count towards consensus, but not unanimous. And then there's like, um, like football writers of America, or some random shit. Like, yeah. cause like Denzel Burke and a couple other people got all American from some shit I'd never heard of. Like, what is? This? I might like, have, I might have an FWAA vote for that actually, cause I'm an FWAA member, so I'm voting for Tommy. Tommy. So if Tommy wins the, if he's an FWAA All American, you guys can all thank me. You know who to thank. You heard it here first. Um, Chris that is, was the uh, best thing I did. Chris is... Uh, I'm an official football writer in America. Leading the charge. But yeah, Tommy Eichenberg, uh, if you ever need a campaign manager for anything, I got you. That's All right. Speaking uh, of camp- yeah, so moving forward with that, uh, I, this question came up. I was just kind of sitting here. We are we already honestly kind of talked about this pre-show. Uh, what is the ceiling of the receiver room for the Buckeyes with Jackson Smith and Jigba? 
And before you give your answer, I just want to say the ceiling, I, I feel like it's not there with this group. I think the, the sky's the limit with them, not to get a little too cliche, because we've been seeing that these three guys are emerging as legit future NFL receivers. And now you're going to bring and now you're going to bring back a guy who was capable of having 365 yards receiving in a game with Clark Phillips on him at times. That's insane to me. So where where do you think like maximum with this group? What do you think it can be? Like, could this group and I we're talking in a historical context now, could this group be the greatest receiving group of all time? Like, Like Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, they won a national title. And I think if Ohio State if Ohio State wins a national title this year, it's hard for me to like quantify any way that this group doesn't end up being the like one of the greatest ever. Because if your worst receiver is Julian Fleming, who'd be the number one receiver on like ninety nine, 98% of teams in America, like you're you're seriously we're talking here. Like, there's a conversation. Like, I don't, like I'm not going to be one of those guys who goes back to like 1963 and is like, oh yeah, the Purdue Boilermakers had three guys go in the first round of the NFL draft. I'm not going to do that because they would not hold a candle to these four. And that's where I'm at. I that's like when I asked the question, I was like, man, what can this be like this year? What's their ceiling? I'm like, well, their ceiling is the national championship caliber wide receiver group. So I started thinking, what can they be all time? And I'm like, is there a better collection of talent? I, I think the biggest thing and where LSU leads for now is their success in the league is also going to matter because, like, all the LSU guys are successful in the league right now. Like Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, all of them are balling. But so is Chris Olave. And, and 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 so is Garrett Wilson. So it's like you because you have to add them to this because they were all on the same team at once, right? Like, are you stopping it at the guys that win a national championship, saying that we win one, or are you including the guys the year before that went two years in a row? Are you including? I am. Are you including Jamison Williams? Like this is going to be even if people are going to say it's not the best individual like group like year by year, which I think it is. This is the best three year stretch. Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, James Williams, Jackson Smith, and Jigba are all first round picks. Mega Buka and Marvin Harrison Jr. are definitely first round picks. And Julian Fleming probably should be a first round pick if he leaves this year. But if he doesn't leave this year and he has two full seasons of being healthy, which is going to be his biggest knock, he's a first round pick. That is, I lost count. That's seven, eight first round picks, right? In a row? That's not even including guys like like Terry McLaurin, who was right before Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, like who's having great success in the NFL. Yeah, I mean Noah Brown is having good success in the NFL, and I forget he was on the team. He was doing he's doing that in spite of coaching at Ohio State. Honestly, he's just doing that on natural raw ability. <laughs> He, he got to the league, and then he finally got coached and learned how to play wide receiver, and now he's actually a good wide receiver. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I, I'm honestly, like, 
So for the greatest all time, like one receiver room, I think you got to do it on just this year's guys. But like for a stretch, I don't. You're right. I don't think there's been one like it. And even even if we do it on just this year's guys, I still think it could be that. Yeah, I mean, every time Arvin Harrison Jr. scores a touchdown, he scores two more touchdowns. Emeka Ibuka, like. He's he um, he's averaging almost 100 yards a game. His lowest was 70, and that's because they just took him out. And yeah. he had 90. He had 90 against Notre Dame when CJ barely had 200 yards. Like, if we're actually opening up the offense, he's guaranteed 100 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, it's been insane to watch. So yeah, I just wanted to put that into context on here as we're at the midweek point. Like this group. Like I remember like. Before the season, I was a little hesitant to just be like, yeah, we could anoint these guys, you know, like five-star recruit, five-star recruit, five-star recruit, whatever, you know. And I was probably one of the few people who was like, we need to see it first. Like, those are first-round picks last year. Guess what? We've seen it now. I'm yeah, ready to be like, yeah. Emeka Egbuka the highest rated of all of them? Because he was a very highly rated recruit. I think, I think Fleming was, actually. Oh well, yeah, that's yes, right. He was, he, Fleming he was, is like Fleming the number was one the number player. one wide receiver. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It was Fleming. Like, Fleming had a, like one of the services had him as like the number one player in the class. Crazy. He was so good, and, and he's so good now. Like, like, he was like the eighth best overall player in the class. Like when Jackson Smith and Jig was like the lowest recruiting ranking. No, it might be Marvin actually. Mar- it depends on who. You- yeah, Who Marvin wasn't a five-star. He was a four. Uh, criminal. What are these guys doing? Uh, did you see uh, – this is off topic. Did you see uh, – what's his freaking name? The jump that uh, Will Smith Jr. took? Mm. Since yeah. August 31st, 24-7 Sports has raised him 250 spots. And 24-7 Sports is the one that, like, I agree with or, like, I, like, tend to, like, lean on. Like, if it was on three, it's like, ah, whatever. You know, I'm not, I'm not so up. sure. But, like, that's crazy. And it's like, we talked about it. Like, was he get like, because it's like, he came to all those camps and he was developing, getting into size, and it's like getting bigger. He he's like a three four hundred guy. Yeah, he's a three four hundred guy, but he's probably going to be a little bit better. I didn't expect this. Yeah, and that's before other services do their mid like high school season re ranks too. So we might see him climbing those composite rankings as well. I just thought about that now because we recruiting was a little bit on my mind there. Uh, all right, next uh, one. Can the defensive line take another step forward, or do you think we're kind of at its like limit right now? I think they can because they just had four sacks against Michigan State. And, like, yeah. I, I have been the defender after reading the article and just seeing some other things and just seeing how things operate. Like, I've been the defender of, like, sacks on everything, and I do agree with that. Like, I think stop rates really good, pressure rates, that kind of stuff, just because of RPOs and quarterbacks getting the ball out and, and athletic quarterbacks and things like that. But you do still want to see the sack numbers. Uh Sorry, I'm watching, this demoralizing. Game. I'm watching this game and the Sun Belt or whatever conference this is just stole Ohio State's commercial. The Big Ten yeah. commercial. You know the thing where they scroll through and they like pop up the things that they've been doing for like 20 freaking years? 
I, the Big yeah, Ten commercial, yeah, yeah. The Sun Belt just did that, and I'm like, uh, Ohio I, State's been doing that for a million years, bro. Like, you can relax. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's not that important. Um, I didn't forget what I was even talking about. I just saw that. One. I was like, sacks aren't everything. On? Yeah, sacks aren't everything, and it's just like, but you still want to see them, and yeah, we did see them. We saw four of them. So it's like, all right, if you're gonna have all the pressure and everything else, and the thing about it, like their pressure rate was lower than it had been in other games, but the sacks were higher. So like, yeah, like based on pressure and some of other things, that wasn't their best game, but they were getting home. So I think. I don't know that it's a super high level, but I think there's a little bit that they could get to. I mean, just think about, like, you keep the defensive tackles doing what they're doing, but the defensive ends get a couple of sacks a game. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's where that's where my thought process was with it, kind of how you ended that there with the, the defense ends get a little bit more involved in the sack game. But more, more so, like, just getting more involved in general. I think JT had one of his better performances against Michigan State so far this year. I think Jack's kind of been really – because Jack's been lining up in that Jack linebacker role, but he's also been kind of being a hand-in-the-ground defensive end at some times. So I, I think he's been balancing that really well, the additional responsibility. And I just think when you, as you see those guys grow, it's it's like because last year they were forced in. Like I don't think they would have probably played all that JT, but I don't think they would have played as much if they weren't bad, like Ohio State's defense. Now this year, they're the guys, and now we're six games in, and we're starting to see them turn the corner a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I would love to see the numbers. I'm not going to look for them. I would love to see the numbers of how often Jack plays Jack because I think that they I think we were right in that they're going to play it less than they played at Oklahoma State, but it's still going to be, you know, a decent amount. He plays with his hands in the dirt a lot. Like it's not a Jack on every play. It's really in certain situations. Yeah. Yeah, so I I think they have I think they're right at their ceiling, but I think there's one more step up they can take. Yeah. All right. And the last question, how concerned about health are you? It's football, man. People are injured. Like, and I, I don't like, I really just think that some of it is just out of the utmost precaution. I'm not really like, I don't know. I, I could hear the argument that there's something going on with strength and conditioning because they shouldn't have this many soft tissue injuries. I I could definitely hear that. And I think that that's worth considering, but I'm not really that concerned because like some of it just makes sense. And people are like, why are they not coming back? Like the Hancock thing, like he got injured in the middle of camp, like, and it seemed to be, you know, decently serious. Um, it's hard to really give an answer because you really don't know how much of it is like this dude stubbed his toe, but we're going to blow out this team by a million. So we're not going to play him and how much of it really is like, oh, this is serious and could linger. So it's definitely like frustrating, but I can't say I'm concerned because look at the people who have stepped up. And, you know, if Alabama had Jamison Williams and they had, you know, some of their guys, I might be a little bit more concerned because I'm like, how are we going to defend these guys at corner where it's really, really a big problem? And I'm not trying to gloss over an issue. You know, health is always important, right? But I, I just think that, in most cases, except for corner, we have depth. And the beautiful thing about the corner injuries is 
that some of the young guys are actually playing a decent amount of snaps that yeah. I think with the rest of the schedule, what other teams have and things like that will be fine. It's just it's a little frustrating more so for me because there are certain people that you wanted to see play and not so much like this is detrimental to the team. We're not going to be able to win without them kind of thing. It's just like, damn, I really thought Jackson Smith and Jigman was going to break a million records and he's not really getting the chance to play. So I think it's kind of I'm more disappointed than concerned. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. I, I we've seen tons of players step up. Like we've had a rotating door at safety. You know, Tanner McAllister's missed time. Josh Proctor's missed time. Lathan Ransom's missed time. Cat Martinez has missed time. But all four of those guys have stepped up when they needed to. You know, I, I think the cornerback position we already mentioned. I want to see them get healthy because then we could really start seeing how big of an issue it is. But. The amount of players who have stepped up played well. I like. I trust the scheme so much. The only, like, the only group, and I, I, I like. I don't know if there's there's only one position on the field where it's like, eh, I don't think they could win a championship without. It. I'm not even going to name the position, but uh, I, I think with their current roster, like whoever played in that last game against Michigan State, I think that is a national championship level team. Yeah, I think I agree. So hopefully with the bye week, some people come back. And once you get into the stretch run, maybe they stop some of the, uh, you know, precautionary injuries and you start to see some things like, you know, know, Travion Henderson could have came back in. You know what I mean? Like some of the things could have happened. So I really think it's just like, and they're only missing a week. Like outside of Jackson, uh, outside of Jackson Smith and Jigba, we haven't had a single person miss two weeks in a row. Yeah, like who did? Like preseason wasn't supposed to, you know. Like yeah, Julian Fleming missed a couple at the start, but once he started playing, he didn't miss any time. Right. So it's like, again, like I'm not trying to sugarcoat things because I worry that I do that sometimes with Ohio State because I'm so confident and I'm like, oh, this doesn't matter when it like it should. I just genuinely think that like, you know, these things will work itself out. I guess I don't know. Yeah, and like like we like we uh, kind of alluded to ourselves, like this is a group that's very talented. Without the players missing, the players coming back is a bonus at this point. And last thing on it, I kind of like the physical practices in the first half. They've been overemphasizing physicality. You think they they reel those back a little bit? You know, home stretch. You know, we've already established that Ohio State can be a physical team. Maybe it's time to get to that cerebral point where you trust that they're going to go out there and be physical and you don't need to run these guys into each other and treat it like you're running into a brick wall over and over again in practice Tuesday and Wednesday now. I mean, I can't even comment on that because I don't know for sure that they're doing that. You know, I know that they, you know, talked about it or whatever, and that's been the assumption among a lot of people, but like, I don't know that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, even the people who act like they know it, like, aren't in there they don't see the practices but i i don't know it's i i think the biggest it all started with the availability reports and like journalists getting mad that on thursday they get an availability report and like three players are out come game time it's like relax a little bit things happen players try to play and then they can't you're gonna put the only people who end up on the availability report are the auto outs like they got hurt during the week they got hurt last game and they just weren't gonna play so we don't need to dig that one up again yeah 
Um, I like I said, it's a little frustrating. It's definitely disappointing. I don't think it's the end of the world. It's yeah. not Nick Bosa having a core injury where he gets shut down for the season and moves out to L.A. Yeah, then you have someone going on a message board named after Nuggets and saying, like, ah, he'll be back in a few weeks. That's my first run-in with that guy. He was not back in a few weeks. Uh, all right, let's close it out. We've got six games left, Ohio State does. Um of the regular season, I might add. And uh, I, let's just run through it real quick. Nothing crazy. Um, what they like, not score predictions or anything. Just like the general vibe of the game, like where it's at. Maybe a few words about the opponent, where what they might bring to the table. And that's about it. And then we'll close out with that. We'll just close out. It's a bye week. We're good. All right, so game one after the break is Iowa. Uh, we know their offense is terrible. Can their defense, like, provide – will their defense, like, slow Ohio State's offense down? Or do you think – because I think this is a game where I'm ready to announce. If Ohio State scores 40 points on Iowa's defense, like, pretty breezy, like, I'm ready to announce him as full-on juggernaut. I think this is going to be like, I know everyone talks about their secondary and things like that, but Illinois really struggled to run on them. If they don't give up a sack or like only like one garbage time sack and they run for a hundred feet, like run for 200 yards on them, I'm going to be there. I I don't think that Iowa secondary is good, but a lot of times it's really just like baiting young quarterbacks because they sit in zone and don't do a whole lot. CJ's going to eat zone a lot. Like, yeah, he's going to eat zone a lot. Like, he's not going to fall into the trap that a lot of quarterbacks fall into when guys are just sitting there. Um, and, and if they can't stop the run, they're not going to be able to do anything with CJ. So. You're giving C.J. Stroud two weeks to study this defense. That's dangerous for zone. Come on, yeah. Plank, stop it. I think I think I'm with you. If they can run the ball, I, I'll put it at 100 yards. Maybe not 150. They could run for 100 yards. Throw 100 yards is nothing. Like it needs to be 150, 200. I think when you, I because I'm I'm considering the pace of play I was going to try to bring to the table. I mean Chase Brown. I mean Iowa and Illinois played the same pace of play. Chase Brown had 130, and he had to work for every single freaking carry. Like it was on like 30 carries. So the, I think yeah. they'd be there. I like ideally this game Ohio State gets out like 14-0 to start the game, and then Iowa just has to throw the football because I love watching Spencer Petras throw the ball for like that ironic sense of it. Like it's awful, but. Like, if they get out to a 14 nothing lead, it's over. Honestly, if they get out to a 7 nothing lead, I'm pretty sure it's over. Because, like, realistically, if it's not a pick six, can they score a touchdown on this defense? I am ready to call my second potential shutout of the year. And I'm counting it. If CJ throws a pick six, I'm counting the shutout if the defense holds it to zero points. Why wouldn't you? That's all I'm saying. Uh, Next on the list, we've got Penn State on the road at noon. It's TBD. I don't know why it's TBD. It's a Fox game. We all know when this game's going to be. Yeah, come on. Stop playing. I I don't want to comment on this game because – I don't see how Penn State keeps it close. 
but they keep it close every single year. Every year. So I'm yes. just going to say it's a typical it's a Penn State game. Like, just for whatever reason. It's just a typical Penn State game. Get ready for it. It's a checker out, so that's fun. Although Penn State uh, is at a huge disadvantage because this is a noon game, and their 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 fans are not going to be in the stands at noon. No, absolutely not. They'll try, but they won't be. All right, we got Northwestern. Come on, it's at Northwestern, so I I can see Ohio State coming out flat, but this is that type of game where I think I can see Ohio State just running for two hundred fifty yards and just calling it a day. Northwestern's a is a terrible, terrible, terrible team. There's, they, no, there's nothing that they can do to present a challenge. They are probably the one team Ohio State will shut out, and I know I'm calling it for Iowa, but like I'm calling my shot there too. Not even getting in field goal range because I don't even think they have receivers good enough to draw pass interferences. Hmm. <laughs> probably don't, honestly. And by then, it's like nine or ten games into the season. The defense is fully together. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of scary for them, honestly. On the road, though, if it's bad weather, I still think Ohio State wins by 40 points. Without trying. Indiana. All right. Ohio State gets Indiana at home. The vaunted Hoosiers. Um, Ever since, uh, like, they, like – they played Ohio State like reasonably like tough a few times last year was disgusting but I I think it's going to be more like that I don't think it's going to be close I tend to agree with your assumption on that one Indiana is also a bad team before the season we had them as our worst ranked Big Ten team I think or Big Ten East team I think Unfortunately, we are high on Rutgers. It's not looking good for them. Um, yeah. That was us missing, but they're still sixth. I mean, maybe. Rutgers they might, be, might still I, be Rutgers, better than Indiana. So. Rutgers might still be better than Michigan State. Michigan State's pretty bad. Especially because Rutgers fired their offensive coordinator. Now the sky's the limit. Someone that might actually stick to a quarterback. I mean, hey. Yeah. Who knows? All right. Uh, what else we got? Maryland on the road. I don't like that. That's kind of ugly going on the road to Maryland. Maryland is the game I'm most worried about, and not that we can lose, but just that like we look bad and it like reveals some things that are going to be like a, you know those games where you're like oh god this is going to come back and bite us. Like I think yeah. Maryland could be one of those games because I, I genuinely think like Maryland's wide receivers could like go crazy. Tua could throw for like 350, 400 yards, and they don't score touchdowns. It's just a bunch of field goals because Mike Loxley is a soft coach and our defense is good, but like they get like into the red zone four or five times, two touchdowns, three field goals or something like that. And you're just like, oh, God, this is not like I did not leave this game feeling good, even though we beat them by 30. Absolutely. I'm with you there. So I I have a feeling it's really the Maryland team, Ohio State's going to get in what it's a college park or whatever. Yeah. Uh, It's going to depend on how their four games between now and then go. Uh, right now, I'm looking at their schedule. They've got Indiana next. If they win that game on the road, Northwestern, they could be 2-0. they got to go on the road to Wisconsin, on the road to Penn State. If They they, they could reasonably go 1-3 and three there. And if they go 1-3 and three there, I think Ohio State's going to curb stomp them. There's if they no go, 
if they go three and one there, I think they're going to be playing with a chip on their shoulder. Honestly, I, I tend to think it's the other way. I, I think if they go three and one, they're going to have a let up game. If they go one and three, they're going to be angry. And like Mike Loxley is going to be fighting for his job and he's yeah, going to pull out all the trick plays and stuff like that. Like, then you got Rakeem Garrett and Dante Dimas Jr. They might opt out. I doubt it. Yeah. Rakeem's for the DMV, so he might not. I don't know. I, I just think either way, like I could see them coming in and playing either really hard or their season being cooked and like but they lost to Purdue so I don't know why like I'm talking myself into this being tight Purdue is a good team occasionally every every other week (laughs) yeah feels like it right Uh, last game I don't think I'm not going to talk about it this week not this early it's not no not there I'm going to say that we were going to save it I'm taking them too serious this year to give it up right now. My takes. So that's it. That's all I got. Uh, I we already kind of talked about the games we're watching this weekend, so we don't need to close out with that. Any final thoughts for the bye week as we head out for the weekend? None whatsoever. I'm with you. I just want to get back to Ohio State football. So with that, uh, where can we find you on social media, Jordan? Uh, you can find me at JordanW330. Gotcha. You guys can find me at Chris Rennie CFB. You can find the show at Bug Off Pod. And you can find us in the Land Grant Holy Land podcast feed every Friday and then after every game. And honestly, we're doing an instant recap this weekend too. So find that there. And that's it. That's for me signing off. Jordan, any th- last thing to say? Go Bucks. Oh, excellent.